We were children of the Silicon Revolution, an X-generation conscripted to fight the console and home computer wars. A product of an analog 70s childhood, we came of digital age in the 80s, believing we could affect the world eight bits at a time. Armed with joysticks, full-stroke keyboards, jolt cola, and MTV haircuts, we proceeded into the vertical blank. There, we stayed up late at night, devising incantations from D&D rulebooks and beginner all-purpose symbolic instruction code. Video games were the match and programming was the fuse as the infinite possibilities of the digital world exploded into the internet age to come. We are Generation Atari. Season 3, Episode 9 of Into the Vertical Blank. The song you were just listening to was Everything Has Energy by Tony Longworth. We'll listen to more of that on the way out of this podcast. This week, we have a story called One Left Turn. It's a special Mother's Day story. This is a story that goes along with what we've been talking about this season, about the Atari 8-bit and all the amazing games for it. This story is about the first time we saw an Atari 800 on a trip with our mom. I've never forgot this day or how my mom supported our love of computers. So here is one left turn. A left turn. 1981. The washing machine at our house was always breaking down. My dad knew a thing or two about washing machines. He knew that Maytag was a good brand and he would never, ever buy one from Sears. He said over and over that Sears products came with built-in depreciation. I was in my 20s before I understood exactly what he meant by it. What my dad did not consider in his choice of washing machines was this. Size. He helmed a family of six. Four kids either squarely inside or fast approaching their teenage years. All of them with tons of clothes that needed to be washed to remove dirt, sweat, blood, evidence. Since my dad was a complete health nut with a subscription to Prevention magazine and a Thomas Brothers map guide marked with the locations of every health food store and vegetarian restaurant in the Los Angeles area, evidence was not just the cigarettes my older sister smoked, but also a Coca-Cola stain on a shirt or the wrapper from a Butterfinger lodged in a back pocket. 
The washing machine, a good old Maytag, was really too small for our family and it broke down a couple times a year. When that happened, my dad, in a fit of wrenches and belts and loud oh f**ks, we tried to fix it himself. Sometimes he was successful, but other times, well, we had to live with the results. Usually that meant he would ponder about a solution for a few days, leaving my mom to visit the local laundromat while this process ran its course, and my dad finally gave up and called the Maytag repairman. At the time, none of this really mattered much to me. It was as it had always been and how I expected it would always be. That was until one fateful day in the summer of 1981 when I discovered my future. The summer of 1981 was one I spent doing two things. Wondering what would happen when I started junior high in the fall and moving all my belongings. My sister somehow convinced my mom and dad that she should have the bedroom my brother and I had had for our entire lives. Her room was smaller, darker, and only had one closet. Our room had magnificent sunlight in the afternoon, a double-sized closet, and fit my brother and I perfectly. So it was obvious to everyone that we should switch rooms and let our older sister have ours. My brother and I were told that it made sense to move, but even to this day, I can't recall what sense it made. I do recall that my sister was convinced her room was haunted, a notion that, not for the lack of trying, I could never totally debunk, and she wanted out so her little brothers could suffer otherworldly implications themselves. One weekend that summer, we moved all of our stuff out of our room so our sister could paint it and move in. She did this while keeping her stuff in her old room because, you know, fairness. My brother and I crammed our belongings into our living room and slept on our old Levitt sofa bed while this process took its course. However, there was one detail about this temporary relocation that managed to soften the blow. 24-hour TV. I spent the better part of my life until that point falling asleep in front of the TV and then being lovingly carried to bed by my mom or dad while pretending to not be awake. However, I never actually slept in front of a TV. In the week of sleeping in the living room, the TV and I became inseparable. I fell asleep in bed with the TV turned on. Someone magically turned it off. Was it the ghost? And I turned it on instantly when I woke up in the morning. From New Zoo Review in the morning to Merv Griffin at night, the TV became my friend, my trusted companion, my solace, and my window into the world. It was almost unheard of at that time to have a TV in your own room. In fact, the only kid I knew with the TV in their own room was Carrie Lenahan, the same girl who let us play her 2600 back in 1978. However, now I was sleeping at the center of the universe. not like I did love TV already, but there was something magical about having TV in the same place where I slept. It felt like a vacation, as the only other time I had a TV in my room was when we slept two aside in double beds at the Motel 6 on our yearly vacation trips to San Diego. After a week of days being serenaded by the TV, playing too old for 11-year-old versions of Fort, Boat, and Cave on and under the sofa bed while surrounded by our boxed clothes and toys in the living room, my sister finally moved her stuff out of 
her room and into her new one. Then my brother and I got to paint our room, light blue, on Saturday and move all our stuff in on Sunday. Afterwards, all was supposedly back to normal. But getting to sleep that Sunday night was very difficult. After a week of sampling the pleasure of an electronic companion at my side, the relative quiet and darkness of our new room was hard to swallow. I dreamt that night about having a TV in my room. However, it was not my new room, but the old one, the one my sister now occupied. The TV was the huge console zenith that used to be in our living room in the 70s. I'd get up to turn on the TV, but no matter what I did, it kept turning off. I would turn it on, walk back to my bed, turn around, and it was off. I could never see exactly what show was running, because it was never on long enough for me to see it. All I knew is that I wanted to see whatever it was, but I couldn't. next day, my mom discovered some of the spare bedding stored in the upper closets in our old room was moldy and needed to be washed. Among the linens were the old cowboy and Indian comforters she bought to help make our makeshift beds, the ones my dad created out of styrofoam and a board, a little more comfortable when we grew out of our cribs when we were little. Twins were an expensive proposition for my parents, so when my brother and I needed beds, my dad had a wonderful, awful, terrible idea. He cut the foam mattress from a sofa bed into two pieces to create some very squishy mattresses. Then he rounded the corners of two 6x3 flat boards to act as box springs. It was like sleeping on a large couch cushion a foot off the ground. I think they were supposed to be a temporary fix. But like many temporary fixes, they became a permanent part of our household. My brother and I slept in those beds from age 3 until we were 17 years old. The cowboy comforters have been stowed away ever since we begged my mom for Star Wars sheets and pillowcases several years prior. My mom spent the whole day pushing the little Maytag to the limit trying to get through all the sheets and pillowcases and blankets until it just stopped working. That night, like usual, my dad started his five-step process of dealing with the death of the Maytag. It would be days before he came to his senses and called a repairman. So my mom filled the Dotson 710 station wagon with laundry and the next day dragged my brother and I out to the laundromat. My mom loved the freedom driving gave her. But she hated driving a car, if that makes any sense at all. The worst thing for her were left turns. My mom planned out every driving strategy to any trip to limit the amount of left turns required, as they were, besides driving on the freeway, the most stressful thing in the world for her. My mom usually took us to the laundromat on Sepulveda Boulevard in Manhattan Beach, nestled between Banner Stationery and Kay's Toys. While the machines there were old and slow and they drove my mom crazy, it was also a comfortable known location that required only two minor left turns to drive to. A left turn on 2nd Street from Peck Avenue and a left turn off Meadows Avenue because even though it was a residential street, it was not a four-way stop. However, this fateful day was different. While on a trip to the South Bay Center shopping area a few weeks prior, my mom had noticed a new strip mall on Artesia Boulevard with a bright, shiny new laundromat. Knowing that she had bedding to wash, which took a notoriously long time to dry, she opted for this new establishment, hoping for a better, faster result with the newer machines. She got out the Thomas Guide and mapped the directions, coursing her finger through the South Bay page, around my dad's pen markings of health and vegetarian establishments. If she took 2nd Street all the way to Aviation, then crossed over into Redondo and drove to Vail Avenue and made a right turn and drove seven blocks south, she could get to the strip mall with only a single easy left turn from a residential street into the parking lot. 
just one left turn. If it all worked out, she would get the laundry done faster and be 50% less stressed about driving at the same time. A win-win if there ever was one. As we pulled the car into the parking lot to the strip mall that contained coin laundry, my brother and I noticed that there was a large store just to the left of the laundromat named HW Computers with a sign in the window that read IBM, Apple, Atari. Atari. The name was synonymous with video games. Whenever I was in the arcade, I would look at the strip of lighted glass above the video screen that displayed the name of the game in the marquee format to see who made it. Nearly all my favorite video games were made by Atari. Asteroids, Missile Command, Battlezone, Tempest, Centipede, just to name a few. All were emblazoned with the Atari name and their unique curved A logo. If I saw the Atari name on an arcade game, I was almost certain that I would insert a few quarters to see what it was all about. Ever since the initial thrill of playing an Atari VCS at my neighborhood friend Carrie Lenahan's house in 1978, I've been fascinated by home video games. I played Atari with her at her house for a couple years, but as we got older and grew apart, so did my access to the Atari. Since that time, I played a few fleeting minutes of Atari VCS in the electronics department in Fedmart, Montgomery Ward, but the games were always the same. Combat was on display, and a few other games they carried like Maze Craze, Street Racer, and Air Sea Battle felt really old to me. There were nothing like the Atari arcade games I played at Safeway, Castle Park, and Straw Hat Pizza. Still, the idea of owning an Atari VCS was intoxicating. The ability to play video games anytime I wanted in my own home on the TV in the living room was something I thought about for years. But after the last week, living and breathing the TV right next to my bed, these thoughts were taken to a new level. What if I did have a TV in my own room? What if I had an Atari VCS? What if I could play my own video game system all day in my room with no one to bother me? Even though HW Computers, by its own admission, was a store that carried products from the expensive world of computers, the notion struck me that maybe a computer store might have some new and different video games than the ones I had played at department stores. There was no real reason for this, other than hope. HW Computers had an Atari sign in the window, and that meant they must have a full line of Atari games, didn't it? In reality, I had no idea what it meant, but it was there, begging for my attention, and I needed to find out. We waited on a plastic bench in the laundromat for my mom to buy soap and wash the loads of laundry. After she put all the bedding in two giant industrial dryers and inserted the handful of quarters required to dry them for 45 minutes, I tried my luck. Mom? I asked. Can we go look at the computer store while the stuff is in the dryer? My mom looked down at her two boys, the ones she had brought for company with her as she washed the linens, the ones who walked everywhere with her for years when she had no car, the ones who dutifully accompanied her on every trip to every store for every need of an 80s family of six. We had spent many, many hours with her in laundromats just like this one. And most of the time, we never asked for anything besides planters, peanuts from the vending machine, a glorious but salty and safe, healthy alternative to the candy bars and sugar-filled bubblegum that were off-limits in our health nut home. Okay, she replied, suddenly and surprisingly. She stood up and walked out the door. She stopped for a second, turned around to look at her laundry, tumbling in two large industrial dryers next to the yellow bench. Satisfied with their safety, I assumed anyway, she turned left and proceeded next door, leaving our dryer behind. It was just a few seconds, a split decision on her part, 
but was the one that changed my life forever. Because when we left the laundromat, we stepped through the door of HW Computers, and it was another world. My world. The world I've inhabited every day since that very day. A left turn into my future. Inside the store, software packages of all types line the walls, with computers positioned on desks and inside glass cases in the middle of the store. The wall directly the back was covered with packages of software. A large sign that read Apple II and 2E signified the computer system that the store focused on. A left wall had a huge sign that read IBM PC, now available. To the right, though, was the panacea I was looking for. A large sign emblazoned with the word Atari. However, when we got to that side of the store, it was not what I expected. The wall of software was not for the Atari VCS video game system, but instead for a computer system I'd never heard of before, the Atari 400-800. I looked at my brother and he looked back at me. If his eyes were as wide open as mine, I knew we were both stunned by what we saw. Atari made computers? We had no idea. Atari made video games. Apple made computers. IBM made computers. Atari made asteroids and missile command. It didn't make sense, but at the same time, it made all the sense in the world. At once, I felt that feeling. The same feeling I had when I opened up Electronic Games magazine for the first time. And the same feeling I felt countless times since. A feeling like I missed something that everyone else already knew. Like I was left out or was not paying attention or something had passed me by. I was embarrassed by it. And my reaction then, as it is today, is an overwhelming feeling that I needed to learn everything I could about the subject to compensate for my embarrassing lack of experience and knowledge. In my later years, this compelling need to overcompensate would lead me to write actual books published by actual publishing companies. In 1981, however, it simply meant that a personal obsession was on the rise. My brother and I were both drawn to the wall of software in front of us. There, colorful boxes of all sizes and shapes danced in our eyes. The names in the boxes were exotic and intoxicating. Scott Adams Adventure, Star Raiders, Missile Command, Scram, Space Invaders, Alibaba and the 40 Thieves, Crossfire, Crush Crumble and Chomp, Deluxe Invaders, Dungeon Quest with a J, Eastern Front, Firebird, Invasion Orion, K-Razy Shootout, Lemonade, Laser Wars, Mouse Attack, Planet Miners, Protector, Rear Guard, Ricochet, Sneakers, Tank Dicks, Tigers in the Snow, Rescue at Regal, Galactic Quest, Date Stones of Rin, and many others. And they all seemed to work with these computers made by Atari. The boxes were thick. They were heavy and they were substantial. When you shook them, you could hear multiple items moving around inside. The boxes had a distinctive smell. The same smell I remember from the PIP Postal Instant Press copy store. And years later, I would associate with my school yearbooks. The boxes for the games that came directly from Atari, i.e. Space Invaders, Super Breakout, Missile Command, were huge, maybe twice the size of games for the VCS. Bigger boxes must mean better games, I thought. Games from other companies varied in size and shape. Some were plain. Some, like Crush, Crumble, and Chomp, Date Stones, Rin, and Rescue Regal, 
had very detailed and enticing painted covers depicting furious space battles, world wars, or fantasy fights like the ones I'd experienced with Kenny Brown while playing Dungeons and Dragons in the fifth grade. They looked nothing like the uniform size rainbow colored boxes that held Atari VCS games. And most importantly, the Atari 400-800 had a couple arcade games I wanted very badly, Space Invaders and Missile Command. It was like a whirlwind of games. It was raining games. Games, games, games. It was almost too much to take. How would I miss this world for so long? But a better question, how could I become part of it? I was more than intrigued. Suddenly, I was not sure I still wanted an Atari VCS. Maybe I wanted an Atari computer. All those amazing looking games and those amazing looking packages. Games I'd never heard of before. So many things I never knew existed until that very moment. I thought my head would explode. I'd come into the store looking for Atari VCS games, but this turn of events was completely unexpected. It was breathtaking. It was overwhelming. After a few moments of gawking, a salesman came over near us. Can I help you? He asked. He was a young guy, maybe in his early 20s. He approached us slowly but surely, obviously trying to figure out why we were in his store. At 11 years old, I was already very aware of salesmen. They ignored kids. They shooed us away from the video game systems that hooked up to the TVs at Fed Martin Sears. They sold us a lemon of a car at the Dotson dealership, and according to my dad, screwed us over for parts and repairs at the auto shop. They sold us crappy couches at Levitt's and never had the products that were advertised at Federated Group. They showed up unexpected at the front door and tried to sell my mom brushes, vacuums, and all sorts of other things. They sold us Maytag washing machines that broke down twice a year. If I knew anything at all, I knew that salesmen were to be avoided at all costs. My brother, on the other hand, must have had no such notions. Immediately, and without hesitation, he asked the salesman, How much for an Atari 400-800? We had been looking at prices for several months. We knew an Atari VCS cost about $149.99. That was a lot of money. I knew that the VCS stood for Video Computer System, which meant to me it was a computer. And if this 400-800 was a computer too, it couldn't be that much more expensive, could it? The salesman paused for a second and looked at us. A hairy-looking mom in her early 50s with gray hair wearing slacks and an old blouse with cheap drugstore sandals clutching a frayed red purse with two scrawny, wide-eyed, and excited 11-year-old boys sporting worn-out and threadbare versions of the uniform of the day. Two-tone OP shorts, double-button OP shirts, tube socks pulled all the way to their knees, and Vans tennis shoes. We were not his usual customers, and we obviously were not going to help him make his daily quota. However, I recall there was kindness in his face that revealed his true nature. His eyes were wide. His lips curled into a smile. The salesman was one of us. He worked at a computer store and loved his job. He loved his job working with computers as much as he loved the idea of owning an Atari machine to play games. Instead of ignoring us, he proceeded to answer all of our questions. It was an unexpected turn, a simple kind gesture that I remember today because it changed my life. Well, he started, there are two different computers, the 400 and 800. The 800 cost about $1,000, the 400 cost about 500 Whoa, I was shocked at that price. Can they play Atari VCS games, my brother asked? No, they played their own games on cartridges on disc and cassette. A disc drive will cost you another $600. A cassette drive will cost you about 100 
However, one really cool thing about the 400 and 800 is that you can use a regular TV for a display. I let those words sink in. Unlike Eric Barr's Apple IIe that was hooked up to an expensive monitor, Atari computers hooked up to a TV set. A TV set just like the one I had as my companion in the living room for the past week. The Atari computers are so expensive though, there's no possibility we would ever get one. But they have Missile Command and Space Invaders. Yeah, the salesman said, Atari's making all those games. If you want the best of Atari, you definitely want an Atari computer. But the best thing about an Atari computer, he continued, is that you can program your own video games. I'm making one myself right now. He pointed towards the computer he'd been working on when we arrived. A map for some kind of game was displayed on the screen. Program your own video games? Ever since I'd written my first line of basic code on an Apple IIe, I wanted to make a real video game. All those spaceships and explosions I'd plotted on graph paper were not for nothing. They might one day actually become games. All I needed was an Atari computer. At that time, I didn't know the logistics or process for making a video game. But what it sounded like to me at that moment was that having an Atari computer meant I could make video games for Atari. He must have thought he would get a different reaction from us, but both my brother and I were stunned. We did want the best, and we wanted to program our own games, but there was no way, no way in hell, or on God's green earth, or any other place else that we were ever going to get a computer that cost a thousand dollars. We both must have looked very sad to the salesman, but then he said something to change the conversation. Look over here, he told us, and he led us toward a glass case in the middle of the store. Inside, he pointed out an Atari VCS and all the games they carried for it, all neatly displayed in their boxes under the glass. Right here, he pointed, and then I saw them. Atari VCS versions of Missile Command and Space Invaders stared back at me. There was also an Asteroids box with the words, coming soon, taking pre-orders now, next to it. When will Asteroids come out? I asked him. It will be out before Christmas, he said. Asteroids, Missile Command, Space Invaders, all for the Atari VCS. The arcade had finally come home. Beautiful Asteroids, the game my brother and I obsessed over. The game we walked two miles, quarters in our pockets, just so we could play a few rounds before walking home. The game would be available for this Christmas for the Atari VCS. The Atari 400-800 computers, while amazing, were a ridiculous notion. It was a dream and nothing else. Maybe a dream for another day, though. However, it appeared that right now it was time to find a way to get an Atari VCS. To hook up to a TV. And someday that TV would be in my room. But how? We need to go check the laundry, my mom said. And my brother and I knew that our time was up. When we turned to leave, the salesman asked if we wanted a catalog. And we gladly accepted. It said HW Computers on the cover. We went next door and picked up our washing. Mom put it in a large roller basket and pushed it to the car. Our drive home was easy. From the laundromat located next to the HW computers, there were exactly zero left turns necessary to get home. All my mom had to do was turn right. On the way, I opened the HW computers catalog. It listed all the games and software titles for the Atari VCS and for the Atari 400 and 800 computers. The descriptions were even more intoxicating than the boxes that lined the shelves of the store. As I read about each game, it occurred to me that even if owning an Atari machine was a far-off dream, it was a dream worth having. Then I thought about the furniture in our house. Mostly broken, second-hand, or even found on the street. Your garbage, our lifestyle. It was the way my dad, an artist-turned-draftsman, could afford to furnish a house with a wife 
and four hungry kids. The bathroom floor was rotting with the wood baseboards exposed. I had to tell my friends that we were remodeling the bathroom when they went in there to stave off embarrassment, as if verbalizing that fantasy would someday make it true. The only problem is we were remodeling that bathroom for about 15 years. If my dad couldn't afford to replace even the most essential appliances, like the Maytag washing machine, how could we convince him to get us an Atari VCS for $150, much less a computer that cost almost a thousand? But for now, I had to keep that dream alive by reading that HW Computers catalog. There was nothing else I could do. With one left turn, my mom had found a new laundromat, and my brother and I had found a new home for our fascination with Atari. That night, I put the HW Computers catalog next to my bed, my old bed in my new room, and that night I had another dream. As I recall, this dream occurred many times afterward. This time, it was about a haunted house. Our house. I went through the front door and everything was falling in around me. I saw a long hallway with many traps and dangers along the way. I could not clearly make any of them out, but they all scared me. There was a light at the end of the hall. If I could just get there. I kept trying to walk, but I tripped over all kinds of weird stuff in the way. Old things. Broken things. I started falling towards the exit. I woke up before I ever made it to the end. The next morning, I got up to the smell of blueberry corn cakes and went to the kitchen table. Popeye cartoons were already on the TV. My dad was there reading the ads in the Sunday paper. I've decided, he said aloud, to buy a new washing machine. We are going to look for a new Maytag today, boys. It was a complete surprise. A turn for the better. Maybe this meant our family would start to be normal. My mom sat at her side of the kitchen table playing solitaire and eating a toasted Swiss cheese sandwich. She looked satisfied, not happy, but at least not sad. And on that particular Sunday, it was all the hope I needed to keep my Atari dream alive. there you go. Thanks, Mom. She passed away three years ago, but I still can never forget what she did for us. Now, here to take you out is more of Tony Longworth's Everything Has Energy.
Next frame calculated. Prepare to write new data. V blank ending. An 8-Bit Rocket Studios production.